So I'm sure that you, like myself, were told all about some of the biggest inventions during history class in junior high and high school. And the telephone is one of those. But who really did invent the telephone? I'm Anna. I'm Alexandria. And this is The Tea and STEM. So I need to tell you, Anna, about who actually invented the telephone. As I'm sure you know, Alexander Bell is the most commonly accepted and taught person who invented the telephone. Duh, everybody knows that. And that was in 1875. Mm -hmm. However, over the past few years, there has been some things that have come up that it might not be as clear-cut as it seemed. Hmm. There's actually two people. There was a lot um, around that time during Inventors mm, right. where they were discussing who came up with it, people stealing inventions from each other, things like that. Absolutely. A lot of it was <clears throat> just trying to get money, cause companies to go down. So a lot of the people who claim to have invented the telephone were washed out as being phonies. But there are two... <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> phonies. <laughs> but there are two who actually stand a chance in maybe being the true inventors of the modern telephone. And it not being Bell? And it not being Bell. Ooh, give me the tea. So not everyone was told this story. And like many inventions in the 19th century, the race to the patent office was on. Because at this time, there wasn't mass media, there wasn't this big news coverage. There's a lot of different stories that come up on, well, who did what first? Right. We're not, we don't have social media where we have timestamps of people posting on Snapchat at the moment that the phone was made. Some people have heard about this man. He was an Italian called Antonio Musi. Mm. He was an Italian inventor who demonstrated being able to transmit his voice over wired lines, which sounds a lot like a telephone. A telephone. And he did this in order to speak with his ill wife. So his wife was ill and he couldn't talk to her very much. And so between 1856 and 1870, and keep in mind, Alexander was 1875, Uh five years after all of this. He had over 30 different prototypes that worked and that he used to talk to his wife. There was some talk on him trying to go to market with this, but he ran into some financial difficulties. He invested in some bad companies and some factories that burned down. And a lot of inventors at this time, unless they hit it big, were broke. And he just didn't have the financial backing. Right. He was able to, in 1870, so again, five years before Bell, he proved that he could transfer his voice up to a mile away through his device that he called a teletrofono. Oh, a teletrofono. <laughs> Pretty close. Now, that could be he was Italian. Uh, Bell was American, so it could have been a little bit of a different way that the spelling happened as mm-hmm. far as the language goes. So he started a company to actually test it and go to market. He went to a friend of the Apparition District Telegraph Company in New York and asked to use their lines. And he even got a grant for a caveat. Um, a caveat is basically an official intent to file a patent. And so it gets you on record as having the first. So he got the grant. He got the grant. But he didn't end up going. So filing the patent. He didn't end up filing. Mm-hmm. He didn't even end up filing the caveat. He got the oh. grant to do so and didn't go forward with it. The District Telegraph Company that he asked to use their lines He gave them copies of all of his drawings and his designs that he wanted to implement Mm -hmm. to expand his testing. They held on to it for two years and just completely ignored him. And then when he asked for all of his drawings, data, and drafts back, they said that they, quote unquote, lost it. (gasps) Well, it's not like it was on a computer, so we were like, I'll just print another copy. Yeah, so who knows if this was malicious, if this was just accidental. accidental? We don't know. Right. There's argues from critics that he couldn't afford a patent anyways. Um, They were $35 at the time, and that with all his financial troubles... His wife sold a lot of his prototypes. They were they were not in a good spot. So he lost his company. He was broke. And he ended up getting scalded really badly in a fire. So his wife sold oh. a lot of the stuff. Bell got his patent in 1876. And that That's... kind of let it go. 
Okay, but see, here you go, Alexandra. Who put the patent in first? That's who gets the So name. he didn't put a patent in it. I know, but Bell did. He did. Even though he might have invented it first, but Bell's name's on it. That totally makes sense. It is. But it, it does still stand that he did invent it first. So Bell's design could be sold as Bell's design, and he would get the backing for that. But who's to say that Antonio's design wasn't slightly different? It couldn't have just been two competing companies if he had the financial backing. Right. So does this come and down to... who gets to... the tech props right. for having that technology? So does this come down to who has more money gets the name on the phone? Sometimes it does. That's sad. Throughout the next years, there was an abundance of lawsuits both ways. People trying to prove that they had the rights to the telephone. The Pan Electric Company, which is a huge company, was even found to have bribed an attorney general with shares if they discredited Bell. So there was a lot of false claims, and so it was really hard for anyone to prove Messi's point that he actually did it. So nowadays it is recognized um, nationally, and Congress has recognized in 2002 that he did invent the first form of the telephone, but Bell still holds the patent for the design that is still currently Based off of. Alexandria, if you and I were back in those days and I'm sitting there as this little whippersnapper and creating all this phone, my my business blows up and catches fire and you're over here rolling in the money and like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and put in my patent first. I think that you and I would have collaborated and we would have been this phone company together. Aren't we sweet? That would be great, except for I don't think they really liked women inventors back then. Shite. You were right. (laughs) We would have just swept some floors. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of it is, you know, people working together versus against each other. Yeah. And a lot of it comes down to the money. Comes Oh, everything comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah. So this one's been in front of Congress. They voted in 2002 that he actually was the first inventor technology-wise of the telephone. And it's one of the more common stories because it is a more recent legal battle. Mm-hmm. Um, however, amongst all the other liars and attempted thieves, Ooh. there's another one that actually might be legit. That is not very well known and has not had the chance to sit in front of Congress or any other major hearing. What? Yes. Oh my gosh. So this all happened in New York. The Italian and Bell. But we're going to go to Illinois. Oh, I know that place. There is a man named Elijah Gray. Mm. He's an inventor who focuses in telegraph technology. That was his big thing. So he attended college. Um, He never graduated, but was so good at science, technology, and inventing that they still gave him a teaching position. Oh, wow. And I don't know what the rules on that were, because they're definitely not that way now. Now you have to... And what year was this again? This is... um, We're talking 1870s, 1860s. Okay. Hey, you put in some effort, but not enough to get a degree. Want to work for us? You know what? Hey, he's smart enough. Well, and back then, you know, colleges weren't as mainstream as they are now. Right. Okay. Um, And you could be a scientist without formal training. A lot of your training was done in understudies. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so he co-owned Gray and Barton Company, which worked to supply telegraph equipment. This is kind of a side note, but just a little bit about him so you understand where he's coming from on his journey. Mm -hmm. They actually moved the company to Chicago in 1871, and that company is still around Fun fact, though, we were just in Chicago and yes. got to see the tour of where the fire hit. Yes. His company was missed by a block oh. of the Chicago fire. Oh, So wow. he barely skimmed by. So now we move to his retirement. So he had this company. He had good financial backing. Mm-hmm. Company did great. He decided to retire and focus on inventions. That was really his passion. So he created a small piano that could send notes through a wire and be played on a speaker on the other end. 
Cool. And that sounds kind of similar. Yeah, an iPod, a speaker system, Uh or a telephone moving sounds across a wire. Right. So his point was really just for music. His intent wasn't to create communication. So he really focused on being able to send musical notes through, although Mm -hmm. notes and sounds are pretty similar to the voice. So in 1874, one year before Bell, he had his first debut of this technology in Highland Park. I know that is. And proved that it could work in front of all the public. So mm-hmm. he proved that you could travel voice through a wire. Um, fun fact, in 1877, he did an entire concert that was in Philly but played in New York. And so that <laughs> was the first, like, remote broadcasted musical, basically. And it's not a musical, like a concert. Right, sure. Nothing really came of it. He really wanted to focus on the music. Okay. Anyways, so he did that, and he wanted to get his information patented and get a caveat. So he was like, I'm the only person who has this speaker system. I want to be able to do it. The intent isn't for voice, but it wasn't not either. He just wanted to get his technology patented. Mm -hmm. So he asked one of his persons to go drop off the caveat, which is like a paper document. Uh He had to actually go down to the patent office and, like, turn it in. Okay. And the way it worked back then was there would be a patent officer... Everyone would come in, line up, drop off their forms, and it would basically stay in this basket until however so many hours someone would come through, grab them all, and take them back to the actual officers that would um, look through them and file them. He sent someone there, and they were there at the beginning of the day, and they dropped off the caveat forms in the basket. Oh, gosh. Now, beginning of the day, as people went through, things got piled on top, top so it now becomes the bottom of it. Yeah. The exact... Same day. Oh, gosh. Bell's lawyer goes to the office to file a patent. So um, some sources, which we don't know how true this is, say that um, Grant's lawyer was fifth in line and Bell's was 30th. So Grant's was on the bottom. So when it got reviewed later, Bell's was on top and considered first. That's not fair. Why wouldn't they take the stack out? Mm Mm-hmm. Flip it over and start each one from the bottom. Yes. First come, first serve. It's important to note that patents at the time didn't necessarily have to work. They just had to be intentful. So Bell at the time, in 76, he didn't quite have the technology down perfectly. Well, he didn't want nobody else working on it. he didn't want anyone else working on it. And he is a well-known inventor. He knows the system. So he submits a patent with, here's generally how it's going to work. I know how to send harmonic chords, but I don't know all the details. But this is the intent is for communication. Versus Gray's actually worked. But it didn't matter. This grinds my gears. And Gray's intent was music, so it doesn't say anything. Bell specifically said for people talking. Mm-hmm. And Gray's just had that science mind of, I'm just going to tell you what my device does. Both did harmonic sounds, but Bell said in his that he has an intent of using vocals. The patent office actually suspends Bell's for three months, saying that they were close enough in time. Let's give Gray some time to submit an actual patent, and then we'll go through all the legal hearings to see who's quote-unquote first to the race. Because mm-hmm. it was the same day, it's really hard to tell... Who knows? Bell then sends a letter later on. We all know Bell ended up winning because Obviously. that's the way it turned out. 100 years later. Turns out that a little bit later, Bell sent a letter to Gray saying that he knows about his caveat. And this was on March 2nd, okay. which is important. March 2nd. 
noted. March 2nd. On March 7th was the first day that Alexander Bell, which was the day his patent got approved, wrote any tangible technological information in a notebook that is signed and dated. So a lot of times when you're writing inventions, I don't know if you know this or how many of our listeners know this, you are taught to keep a notebook and date and time everything, every thought, every intent, and initial the bottom of every page, basically making proof that you were thinking of these things. Okay. He had the patent of the idea, but he didn't actually start writing out how it would work until March 7th, when his patent was already approved. Oh. And on March 8th was the first day he ever actually tested his experiment to see if it would even work. Oh, my. After his patent's already approved, because you didn't have to have it. Bell also said under oath later on in a different lawsuit, and is quoted to say that he discussed with his lawyer Gray's caveat design in a quote-unquote general way prior to him creating and testing his design. <gasps> Wait, what? Mm-hmm. How? So one, how did he get the caveat? How did he get it? And two... And I know you have a caveat. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Money. Alexandria, money, 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 money. Mm-hmm. I have enough money that I can get and do what I want. Mm-hmm. In oh. an affidavit, the person, that lawyer that he talked to, in general terms, to discuss Gray's uh-huh. caveat and his design, and it was kept very vague. He admitted that he was an alcoholic, not Bell, but the, the lawyer, um, who was also a, he was the patent office lawyer who approved the patents and pushed mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. through. He was an alcoholic who owed money to his longtime friend, Marcus Bailey, who was Alexander Bell's personal lawyer <laughs> and managed all his inventions. Oh, my gosh. Wilbur, the patent office guy, says that after he issued the suspension on Bell's patent application, Bailey, the lawyer, came to visit. In violation of patent rules, he still told Bailey, the lawyer, about Gray's caveat and told his superiors that Bell's patent application had arrived first said that he may have been paid off for his debts, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was Professor Alexander Bell was with me an hour when I showed him the drawing of Gray's caveat and explained Gray's method to him, according to Wilbur, the patent officer. So he met with Alexander Bell before he wrote, Alexander Bell wrote down any of his Mm -hmm. actual science. Yep. And before he actually tested his experiment, sat down with this patent offer and reviewed another scientist. My mind is blown. And then and he this says all that happened Bell in returned. Illinois, right? This was um, in New York. They all this all happened in New York. Okay. Um, oh, Ray hmm. lived in Illinois, but Got it. you have to go out there to do that stuff. And then it gets crazier. Wilbur, so the patent officer, says that after that conversation at 2 p.m., Bell returned and gave him a $100 bill. Oh, my gosh. Bribery. But that was, quote, unquote, unrelated. Boo! But he wanted to make sure it was out there. Okay, where did you find this information? You have to, this is unbelievable. It is all over. So once I started looking it up, it is everywhere. Everywhere. It is just not something that is taught taught in school. And Mr. Bell created the phone. Yeah, I get it at the end of the day. He's so smart. Yeah, he's smart because he's scandalous. Mm -hmm. He's scandalous. It's the scandal. And there's so much. I know a guy in this office. He owes me money. Mm -hmm. And if I just push him the right way, he'll give me all the information. (gasps) Scandal. So at the end of the day, Bell had an intent to create this technology. Yeah. But he made the patent before he had the technology. Theoretically stole, it's not proven, theoretically stole the patent technology 
and then tested it to make sure he could make it work. Yep. And then made money off of it. Sounds about right. So a lot of historians think that Bell's lawyer got Gray's caveat and copied some of the tech. And according to Wilbur, the patent officer, um, he admitted all of this stuff of meeting with Bell and the $100 bill on legal under oath. And so... Nothing came of it. Nothing came of it. Oh, okay. Another slap on the wrist. There was... Darn. So at the time, there was a newspaper that quoted, going after lawsuits with Alexander Bell was public sport for companies. Because there were so many legal people going after him for that technology. Because it was going to change the world. It was going to change the world. And so I think there was, you know, maybe some sketchy things going on. But some real things. There were so many fake things that how do you... How do you shuffle through it all? Eventually, you just give up. And giving up is what ended up happening. So Gray could have pursued a patent because he only had a caveat in. Yep. And he had three months to pursue a patent and give all the documents over showing all his tech was, you know, older than Bell's. Yep. However, at the suggestion of his lawyer, who said that Bell basically already won, he's got too much money, he's got too many people in his pocket, it's not worth it, Um, he suggested that he just... Don't go forward with it because what's the point? What's the and point? That, You're going to go to financial ruin. Mm-hmm. Focus on something else. you got a short life to live. Enjoy it while you can, I guess. Yeah. So Gray ended up really Terrible. successful. And again, in 77, he did that giant first concert. Um, he actually started up a company called Gray and Enos, which is now Gray Bar, based oh. off of that technology. And it's still one of Fortune 500's largest U.S. companies. So he did fine. He did fine. It was really just a choice of... Is this something that you're passionate about that you're willing to die over? Not die over, but well, lose he, a lot of money yeah, over. Yeah, he lost everything if he wanted to keep pushing somebody who was, you know, take me to court. It's my sport. Mm-hmm. And we just need a little air quote button. I know, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how it ended up happening. So Bell gets all the credit. He's the one taught in school. Who knows? <sighs> it's so sad. It's it's sad to see that people with money and they're taught, like, the loopholes of of the business world. Is that good business manship mm-hmm. or is it just uh, taking advantage of certain situations? Is it fair game? It's such a gray area. And then on the other end, you know, we're not talking of a not so well off person who came with the technology in their basement yeah. and Bell One. We're talking about another person who owns a fortune, owned a Fortune 500 right. company and that's still around today. So they're doing just fine. You know, financially speaking, it's not like there was. Not like his business burnt down. Mm-hmm. But interesting. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing the tea. So now you know when you use your phone who might have really invented it. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe and we'll see you next week.